شهد الله الله أشهد أن محمد حي على
After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'uz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalif al-Masih the fifth, Ayyid Allah bin Asir al-Aziz, stated, The first of the Sahaba that I will mention today is Hazrat Sabit bin Khalid Ansari. He belonged to the tribe of Banu Malik and came from the clan of Najjar. He participated in the battles of Badr, Uhud and Yamama. It was during this latter one that he attained martyrdom. According to some, he attained martyrdom during the incident of Bede Maona. Then there is Hazrat Abdullah bin Urfata. He migrated to Abyssinia along with Hazrat Jafir bin Abi Talib. In a narration, Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud states, The Messenger of Allah وسلم, sent us to the Negus and we numbered about 80. Hazrat Abdullah bin Urfata participated in the Battle of Badr. Then there is Hazrat Utbah bin Abdullah. His mother's name was Busra bin Zayd. He participated in the bayt that took place at Akbar as well as the battles of Badr and Uhud. Then there is Hazrat Qais bin Abi Sasa. The father of Hazrat Qais was Amr bin Zayd. However, he was known by the title of Abu Sasa. Hazrat Qais's mother's name was Sheba bint Asim. Hazrat Qais participated in the bayt that took place at Akbar along with 70 Ansar. He also had the honor of participating in the battles of Badr and Uhud. <coughs> <coughs> 
as the Holy Prophet ﷺ departed for the Battle of Badr, he, along with his army, camped at Buyut As-Sukya, located on the outskirts of Medina. Some miners, eager to accompany the Holy Prophet ﷺ, who had also come along, were sent back from there. Then the Holy Prophet ﷺ ordered the companions to fetch water from the well at Sukya. He drank from its water and then offered the prayer near the houses of Sukya. When departing from Sukya, the Holy Prophet ﷺ ordered Hazrat Qais bin Abi Sasa to count the number of Muslims. At that occasion, he was also appointed to oversee the arrangements for water. After that, the Holy Prophet ﷺ himself stayed near the well at Bere Abi Inaba, located at about 2.5 kilometers from the Prophet's mosque. Upon receiving the instructions from the Holy Prophet ﷺ to count the number of people, Hazrat Qais counted them and submitted to the Messenger of Allah saying that their number was 313. The Holy Prophet ﷺ was pleased to hear this number and said that the companions of Talut also numbered the same. According to the note written on Sukya, it was located about two kilometers from the Prophet's mosque. Its previous name was Huseyqa. Hazrat Khalad narrates that the Holy Prophet ﷺ changed its name from Huseyqa to Sukya. He states, I wished to purchase Sukya, but Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas had already bought it in return for two camels. According to some, he bought it for seven okia, i.e. 280 dirhams. When this was mentioned to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he said that his trade is very profitable. Similarly, during the Battle of Badr, the Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed him as the leader of the Saka. Saka is the part of the army that remains behind for protection. On one occasion, he said to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, O Prophet of Allah ﷺ, in how many days should I complete the recitation of the entire Qur'an? The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, In fifteen nights. Hazrat Qais said, I find myself capable of doing more than this. Upon this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, You may complete it within the period of two Fridays. To this he said, I find myself capable of doing even more than this. Following this, he recited the Holy Qur'an in this very manner for a long time.
This continued to the extent that when he grew old and had to cover his eyes with a piece of cloth, he began to complete the recitation of the entire Quran in 15 days. At that time, he used to say, If only I had complied with the concession of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Qais had two children, Al-Faqih and Ummi Hadis. The mother of these two was Amama bint Muaz. The progeny and offspring of Hazrat Qais did not continue further. Hazrat Qais had three brothers, all of whom had the blessed opportunity of spending time in the company of the Holy Prophet However, they were unable to participate in the Battle of Badr. From among them, Hazrat Hadaris was martyred in the Battle of Yamama, and Hazrat Abu Kilab and Hazrat Jabir bin Abi Sasa were martyred in the Battle of Mota. Then there is a companion by the name Hazrat Ubaidah bin Hadis. Hazrat Ubaidah bin Al Hadis, who belonged to the Banu Muttalib, was a close relative of the Holy Prophet. He belonged to the tribe of Banu Muttalib. His title was Abu Hadis, whereas according to some, it was Abu Muawiyah. The name of his mother was Sukhaila bint Khuzay. Hazrat Ubeda was ten years older than the Holy Prophet He was among the first people to accept Islam. He became a Muslim before the Holy Prophet entered Darul Arkham. Hazrat Abu Ubaidah, Hazrat Abu Salama bin Abdullah Asadi, Hazrat Abdullah bin Arkham Makhzumi, and Hazrat Usman bin Maz'um became Muslim at the same time. The Holy Prophet held Hazrat Ubaidah in great honor and esteem. Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris accepted Islam in its initial stages and was among the chiefs of Banu Abd Manaf. Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris migrated to Medina along with his two brothers, Hazrat Ufail bin Haris and Hazrat Hussein bin Haris. Hazrat Mista bin Usasa was also with them. Prior to the journey, they decided to meet in the valley of Naji. However, Hazrat Mista bin Usasa was left behind as he was bitten by a snake. The following day, they were informed of him being bitten by a snake. Therefore, they returned and travelled with him to Medina. They stayed with Hazrat Abdurrahman bin Salama in Medina. The Holy Prophet ﷺ formed a bond of brotherhood between Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris and Hazrat Umair bin Al-Hummam. Hazrat Ubaidah bin Al-Haris and Hazrat Umair bin Al-Hummam were both martyred in the Battle of Badr. His two brothers, Hazrat Tufail bin Haris and Hazrat Hussein bin Haris, also participated alongside him in the Battle of Badr. After migrating to Medina, the Holy Prophet ﷺ implemented certain strategies in order to remain protected from the mischief of the disbelievers. And in order to safeguard the Muslims, 
which serves as a clear proof of the superb capability of governance of the Holy Prophet and his far-sightedness in terms of warfare. Mentioning this, Hazrat Mizar Bashir Ahmed Sahib has stated the following in Sir Khatam al-Nabiyin. History proves that in relation to the very first group, which was sent under the leadership of Ubaidah bin al-Haris, and which was confronted by Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl, two Muslim Meccan men of weak faith, who had somehow travelled along with the Quraysh, left the Quraysh and joined the Muslims. Hence, we find in a narration that when the group of Muslims encountered the army of the Quraysh during this expedition, two individuals, Miqdad bin Amr and Utbah bin Ghazwan, who had a treaty with Banu Zuhra and Banu Nawfal, escaped the idolaters and joined the Muslims. Both of these individuals were Muslims and had merely taken the guise of the disbelievers and set out in order to join the Muslims. Hence, one of the reasons for the Holy Prophet ﷺ to send these parties was to save these people from the cruel Quraysh and to provide opportunities for them to join the Muslims. After eight months had passed following the migration, the Holy Prophet ﷺ sent Hazrat Ubaidah away with 70 or 80 riders. The Holy Prophet ﷺ had tied a white flag for Hazrat Ubaidah bin Hadis which Hazrat Mista bin Usasa was holding. The purpose of sending this army or this group of riders was to stop a caravan of merchants belonging to the Quraysh in his tracks. Abu Sufyan was the chief of the caravan of the Quraysh. According to some, it was Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl and according to some others, it was Mikriz bin Hafas. This caravan consisted of 200 men, i.e. the caravan of disbelievers who were transporting merchandise and goods. This group of companions confronted this caravan in the valley of Rabik. This place is also known as Waddan. Apart from firing arrows, no battle took place between the two parties, and no formal rows of combat were formed. The first arrow fired by a companion from the Muslim army was fired by Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas. This was the first arrow fired by the Muslims. On this occasion, Hazrat Miqdad bin Aswad and Hazrat Uyayna bin Ghazwan, which had been recorded as Utbah bin Ghazwan by Ibn Hisham and in Tariq al-Tabari, escaped the group of idolaters and joined the Muslims as they had already accepted Islam and desired to join the Muslims. This was the second army of Islam steered under the leadership of Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris. Following the firing of arrows, both parties retreated as the idolaters were so awestruck by the Muslims that they believed that there was a great army of Muslims and that they were receiving reinforcements. Therefore, they became afraid and retreated and the Muslims did not chase them either. They followed them, but they did not chase them, nor did they engage in battle with them. Both parties had attacked each other. The Muslims fired arrows, and so did the idolaters, and in the end, when the disbelievers retreated, the Muslims also returned. Hazrat Mizar Bashir Ahmad Sahib has written in his book, Seed Khatwan Nabiyin, 
Towards the beginning of the month of Rabi'ul Awal, after returning from the Battle of Wadan, the Holy Prophet ﷺ sent off a party of 60 muhajireen, mounted on camels under the leadership of one of his close relatives, Ubaidah bin Haris Muttalabi. The objective of this campaign as well was to forestall the attacks of the Quraysh of Mecca. As such, when Ubaidah bin al-Haris and his companions covered some ground and arrived close to Saniyatul Marra, they suddenly noticed that 200 armed young men had set up camp in the command of Ikrimah bin Abi Jahal. The two parties encountered one another and a few arrows were exchanged in the confrontation. However, this group of idolaters then stood down from further conflict due to the fear that the Muslims probably had hidden reinforcements at their disposal and consequently the Muslims did not pursue them. Albeit, two individuals from the army of the idolaters named Mikdad bin Amr and Utbah bin Ghazwan fled from the command of Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl and joined the Muslims. It is written that they set out with the Quraysh for this very purpose so that they could find an opportunity to join the Muslims. The reason being that they were Muslims at heart but could not migrate out of fear of the Quraysh due to their weakness. Moreover, it is possible that this very occurrence caused them to lose heart and they decided to step back, considering this to be an evil omen. It is not mentioned in history whether that caravan of the Quraysh was travelling in that direction for any specific purpose, which without a doubt was not a commercial caravan, as these people had set forth posing as a commercial caravan, but were an organized and well-equipped army, and regarding whom Ibn Ishaq has used the words Jamni'azim, i.e. a great army. However, it is evident that their intentions were not good, and that they had not traveled there with the right intentions. At any rate, they had come to attack, and this is why the Muslims too began to throw arrows, and it seems that the ar- first arrows were surely thrown from the disbelievers. It is due to the grace of God Almighty that they found the Muslims to be ever ready, and having seen some of their own men going to the Muslims, they were unable to muster up the courage, and so they retreated. The real benefit to the Muslims from this mission was that two Muslims were saved from the transgressions of the Quraysh. During the Battle of Badr, he fought on behalf of the Muslims in combat duel against Walid bin Utbah. It is mentioned in the Ahadith that a verse of the Holy Quran was also revealed at that time. Hazrat Ali radiallahu anhu relates, The verse, Hadani rabbihim, was revealed regarding these people who fought in combat duels in the Battle of Badr i.e. Hazrat Hamza bin Abdul Muttalib, Hazrat Ali bin Talib, and Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris. And on the other side was Utbah bin Rabia, Sheba bin Rabia, and Walid bin Utbah. The meaning of this verse is, These two are two disputants who dispute regarding their Lord. The whole verse is as follows. هَذَانِ خَسْمَانِ اخْتَسَمُوا فِي رَبِّهِمْ فَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا قُطِّعَتْ لَهُمْ ثِيَابٌ مِّنْ نَارٍ 
يُصَبُّ مِنْ فَوْقِ رُؤُوسِهِمُ الْحَمِيمُ These two are two disputants who dispute concerning their Lord. As for those who disbelieve, garments of fire will be cut out for them, and boiling water will be poured down on their heads. Further details of this combat duel have been thus provided in Sunan Abi Dawud. Hazrat Ali anhu relates, Utbah bin Rabia, followed by his son and brother, came forward and announced, Who is it that will come to face us? Thereupon many of the youth from among the Ansar answered him. Utbah asked, Who are you? They replied, We are the Ansar. Utbah then said, We have no dispute with you. We only wish to fight our cousins. The Holy Prophet ﷺ then said, O Hamza, arise. O Ali, rise. And O Abu Ubaidah, rise and go forth. Hazrat Ali narrates, As soon as we heard the call of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, Hazrat Hamza advanced to Utbah, I advanced to Sheba, and there was a skirmish between Ubaidah bin Hadis and Walid, which left both severely wounded. Then we turned to Walid and killed him and took Ubaidah bin Haris away from the battlefield. During the duel, Utbah had struck the calf of Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris and left it completely severed. The Holy Prophet ordered him to be removed from the battlefield and after the battle of Badr had ended, he passed away in Safra a place near Badr, and he was also buried there. According to one narration, it was only when the calf of Obeda was cut and the marrow was gushing forth from it that the companions brought him to the Holy Prophet ﷺ, and he said, O Messenger of Allah, am I to be considered a martyr? He had been injured in the battle but did not die immediately. The Holy Prophet ﷺ replied, Indeed, you will be a considered a martyr. According to another narration, when Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris was brought before the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he placed his head on the lap of the Holy Prophet ﷺ and said, If only Abu Talib were alive today, he would know that I am more entitled than him to what he used to say. And that was... وَنُسْلِمُهُ حَتَّى نُسْرَعَ حَوْلَهُ وَنَّزْحَلَ عَنْ أَبْنَائِنَا وَالْحَلَائِلْ That is to say, it is a lie that we will hand over Muhammad to you. Such will only be possible when we are struck down around him to the extent we have become oblivious to our wives and children. Such were the sentiments of these people. At the time of his demise, Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris was 63 years of age. After mentioning these companions, I wish to mention about a long-serving life devotee missionary of ours from Indonesia who passed away a few days ago. His name was Siyuti Aziz Ahmed Sahib and he passed away on 19th of November. To Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Siyuti Sahib was suffering from a severe heart illness 
and was sent to Rabwa for treatment. There, in Tairhat Institute in Rabwa, he underwent major surgery. But after a few days, his health did not improve, and on 19th November, he passed away. He is survived by his wife, two sons, two daughters, and ten grandchildren. Among them, six are part of the Wakfinor scheme. Suyuti Aziz Amasayib was born on 17th August 1944 in Bone, South Sulawesi. He studied in Jamia Rabwa between September 1966 and October 1971. In April 1972, he was appointed as a central missionary of Indonesia. Then in 1985, he received the Shahid degree during his time serving in the field, having seen his services. In the year 2000, he had the blessed opportunity to perform the Hajj. Between 1972 and 1979, he spent these seven years serving as missionary in South Sumatra, Lampung, Jambi and Bengkulu. Between 1979 and 1981, he served as a teacher for the Muallimin. In 1981, he was appointed as a missionary in Purwokoro. Then in 1982, he was appointed as the assistant director of the Muallimin and Muballigin classes. Between 1982 and 1992, he served as a principal of Jammeh Ahmadiyya, Indonesia. In that period of time, in 1985, he was awarded the Shahi degree. From 1992 until 2016, he remained as the head of the Bli for 20 years. Then from 2016 till his demise, he served again as the principal of Jam Ahmadi Indonesia. In 1973, he married Afifa Saiba, daughter of missionary Abdul Wahid Saheb of Sumatra. She was the older sister of Mulana Abdul Basit Saheb, Amir of the Indonesia Jamaat. She bore four of his children, Warda Khalid, Haris Abdul Bari, Sadat Ahmed, and Alia Atiyatul Alim. Afifa Sahib passed away in 2009. Thereafter, Sayuti Sahib married Arina Damayinti Sahib, but they had no children together. Regarding the spread of Ahmadiyat in his family, he once gave an interview to MTA in which he said, the main reason for myself and my family to take the oath of allegiance was that my grandfather instructed us that in the latter days the Imam Mahdi will appear, so you must all accept him. To honour this instruction of his, my family migrated twice. In 1959, my family moved to Lampung. In 1963, a missionary named Molana Zaini Dehlan Sahib came to preach in Lampung and we met him. He told us that the Imam Mahdi has appeared. I then asked him for the proofs of the advent of the Imam Mahdi, to which he gave us a book proving the truthfulness of the Messiah of the latter days, and told us to read it. When I read the book, I was assured that the Messiah to come was none other than this man, and that was the Imam Mahdi Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani He says, On 
13th of February 1963, at the age of 19, I and 40 members of my family took the oath of allegiance through Molana Zaini Dehlan Sahib. He then further states, In 1963, Vakilu Tashib Sahib visited Badong from Rabwa, and I was there at the time. The truth became even more clearer for me even after attending the programs of the Jamaat and meeting with its missionaries. Whilst mentioning about his admission in Jamia, he states, In 1963, Mulana Abu Bakr Ayub Sahib, who was serving as a missionary of southern Sumatra, visited us in Lampong for the training of the new converts. After his visit, he reported to Raisat Tabligh, Mulana Sayyid Shah Muhammad Jilani Sahib, saying, some people from the Bogus tribe have taken oath of allegiance in Lampong, and we do not have a missionary from amongst these people, whereas we have missionaries from amongst the Java and Sunda people. He wrote, I met with three young men there who can be sent to Rabwa for study. He then says, I was amongst those three young men. Our names were recommended for admission in Jami Ahmadiyya Rabwa, and we were instructed to apply for our passports. However, we could not get our passports due to the unstable political climate of Indonesia at the time. Afterwards, in 1966, I applied for a visa with Raisat Tabligh Mulana Imamul Din Sahib at the Embassy of Pakistan and obtained the visa within 15 minutes. He continues, I arrived in Karachi and stayed there for one night and from there I travelled to Rabwa via train. After arriving at the station, I walked to Jamia. He says, A lot of Jamia students welcomed me upon my arrival. The environment was new, so it was quite difficult to get accustomed to at first. However, I managed to adjust accordingly. I was enrolled into Jamia after three days. There was one person amongst the teachers whose name was Hazrat Master Ata Muhammad Sahib, who was a companion of the Promised Messiah He further says, I had the honor of meeting with several companions of the Promised Messiah during my stay in Rabwa. I would always seek an opportunity to meet with a companion of the Promised Messiah and would press their feet while conversing with them. While sharing a pleasant experience of an audience with Hazrat Khalif Tumasih III, Rahimullah, he states, When Hazrat Khalif Tumasih III Rahimahullah was elected as the Caliph of the community, we met with him and embraced him. Hazul Rahimahullah patted me lovingly on my face and stated, They have come from Indonesia. There were other foreign students there. Hazrat Khalif Tumasih III Rahimahullah continued, all of you have come from afar. You are all my children. The spiritual light of Hazrat Khalid Masih III always remained amongst us and for this reason all of our difficulties became easy. Hazul Rahimahullah had instructed that you can come to me when facing any difficulty. He then states, When I was about to return to Indonesia, I went to meet with Hazul Rahimahullah before my departure. Hazul inquired, do you need anything? I responded, I need some books. 
I visited the office but was un- not able to attain anything. Azul Rahimullah wrote a note from his pen that read, Give the books to Siyuti. Soon after, I received a complete set of Ruhani Khuzain, which I have in my possession to this day. Before I left, Azul Rahimullah embraced me lovingly and said in my ear, Never be unfaithful to your master. This is my advice to you. He writes about an incident, saying, In 1992, Sharif Ahmed Bulgar Sahib, Amir Sahib Indija, sent me to the Philippines to ensure success in the international bet that was taking place there, and said to me, This is as per instructions of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, Rahimahullah. I said to him, I am very weak and I do not even know the local language. He responded, I have full faith in you. Then he said, If these are the instructions, then I am ready. Hence I left the Jamaat headquarters, and at the time in order to get there, one had to go through Manila and Zamboakwasti. I ate some food and contracted cholera and became very weak. In this condition, I prayed, O oh Allah, if I die here, then there are no Muslims here who would offer my funeral prayers. He says, At night I saw in a dream that a nurse wearing a uniform visits me and whilst patting me on my forehead, she blows some air on me. At that moment, I felt as if my entire body had turned ice cold and this coolness exits my body through my toes. I had completely recovered in the morning when I woke up, so I departed for Tawi Tawi. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, 130 people took the oath of allegiance and joined the Jamaat within three months. Abdul Basit Sahib, Amir Sahib in Indonesia, writes, I got the opportunity to observe Suti Aziz Sahib on a personal level as my brother-in-law and a missionary. He had a very simple personality and his greatest attributes were humility and meekness. He was a living example of patience and forbearance in all affairs. He would always supplicate to God offered the Hajjah prayers regularly, display immense trust in Allah the Almighty and had a relation of tremendous love and sincerity with the system of Khilafat and the Khulafa of the Jamaat. He would give precedence to Jamaat affairs over his personal matters. He was a successful servant of the Jamaat. Whatever responsibility, duty and office he was entrusted with, he fulfilled that role with immense sincerity and loyalty. It did not matter whether he was performing that duty as a missionary or a teacher of Jamia or as a principal, or as in charge of propagating the message. He was an excellent model and example for the life devotees. Musulm Sahib, Vice Principal Jamia Ahmadiyya Indonesia states, Siyuti Sahib would teach the translation of the Holy Quran to the 3rd, 4th and 5th year classes. He would teach the subject of Kalam to the Mubashir class. In order to teach this class, he had translated the book irfan Lahi into the Indonesian language. When he became weak due to illness and was unable to move around, his students would visit him in the office to study. He taught his class on November the 8th before leaving for Rabwa. He would always say, Jamia years have been increased to seven years and Hazrat Khalifatul Masih has approved this. So you all should work very hard and fulfill the desires of Hazul.
His daughter Mardia Saiba writes, My father had fully devoted his life. He spent his life serving the Jamaat to the extent that we would travel very little for sightseeing or entertainment. We always consider this to be the lifestyle of a life devotee. He taught his children that Avakpa Zindagi's time should be spent completely for the sake of the Jamaat. Then she states, In terms of training, my respected father did not give a lot of advice, rather he led by example. She continues, He would serve my mother patiently when she became ill, and he would also do the house chores himself. He would prepare the morning and evening meals during the days of Ramadan. He never requested anyone to do anything for him. He had the habit of doing his work with his own hands. His son, Sadat Ahmed Sahib, writes, He trained us very patiently. However, he emphasized a lot about offering prayers. During our childhood, he would instruct us to offer the prayers in congregation at the mosque. If I were not seen in the mosque, then he would look for me and take me to the mosque himself. He further says, He always advised us to never miss prayers, offer sunnah prayers with it, and always recite the Holy Quran. His daughter, Atiyatul Alim Sahiba, states, My father would always speak the truth. He never uttered a falsehood in front of his children, even as a joke. He would never miss the Hajjah prayer, and would offer his prayer in congregation at the mosque. Apart from when he was ill, I never saw him offering his obligatory prayers at home. His second wife says, Before leaving for Rabwa, he told me and the children that my heirs, my family and household is Khilafat and that my life and death is for the Jamaat. He also attended Germany Jalsa this year. He was very eager to attend even though his children advised him against travelling as he was ill. However, he said that he wanted to meet the Khalifa and so he attended the Germany Jalsa and met me there and this was the last time he met me. She also said, He was an excellent husband, and I learned the importance of obedience from him. He never showed any concern for his own health and well-being when it came to Jamaat work. Siyuti Aziz Sahib's son-in-law, Zaki Sahib, says, In 2005, when we were alerted about the news of an attack on our headquarters, the Khudam were instructed to come and protect it, I was also there, and at the time, Suti Sahib was head of the Bleak, and I noticed he was never scared. He would go in the middle of the night and meet the Qudam and give them courage. I saw that he had immense love for Khilafat. He would say that he is a life devotee, and therefore, whatever he does is with the approval and instruction of the Khalifa of the time. He suffered a stroke in 2017, and for some time he could not even talk clearly. But despite this, he continued studying books, and it would always be his desire to go to Jamia and teach the students. Ahmed Sahib, Secretary Tarbiyat, writes, If he ever received a good piece of advice, 
he would openly appreciate it with great respect and whenever he faced any difficulty, he would sincerely ask for suggestions. Ahmad Nur Sahib, a missionary, says, He led a simple life and was very respectable. Despite his old age, he was very active in his jamaat work, as if he were a young man. One advice he gave, which I always remember, is that never turn away from God and always ask Him, for He never rejects the prayer of His servants. He further states, When I had my interview with the Shahid class, he advised me in a very emotional manner with tears flowing and whilst trembling that never abandon your waqf. Whoever discards their waqf is among those who incur great loss. Another person has written that Suti Saab had visited Kandari and whilst imparting various advice he said If you have any internal or external issues whilst trying to ensure people adhere to the system of the Jamaat you should go forth without any fear because you will have the help and support of God Almighty. However, if members of the Jamaat criticize you owing to any of your personal weaknesses then you should assess your own condition and bring about an improvement. One should never be worried in relation to Jamaat work. They should have complete trust in God Almighty and have pure intentions. However, if one has any personal weaknesses, then they should assess their condition. Khalid Ahmed Khan Sahib, a missionary, writes, During our time studying in Jamia, Suti Sahib was a shining example for us spiritually and morally. He would make great effort in offering the prayers in congregation. He would always arrive on time to the mosque or at times he would come much earlier and write until his demise, despite his ill health, he continued this habit of greatly striving for his prayers. Another missionary, Hashem Sahib, writes, I had the honor of being taught the subject of Ilmul Qalam in Jamia from Suyuti Sahib. It was his habit that during the lecture, he would ask the students questions and he would highly praise and commend the answers from the students. Once, he asked us, that what is the biggest proof of the truthfulness of the promised Messiah We all quoted various verses of the Holy Quran and presented references of the Ahadith. Listening to our answers, he told us that he himself was the biggest proof for his truthfulness, i.e. every Ahmadi should consider himself to be the most powerful proof of his truthfulness. He then said that everyone should raise themselves to a standard whereby everyone is a sign of his truthfulness. This was his style of morally training them, in that if they completely followed the teachings of Ahmadiyyat, which is the true Islam, then they themselves would become the biggest sign of his truth. Such was his style of training. He would listen to the sermons very attentively. When he would listen to my sermons, he would discuss the various points of the sermon with his students and would make sure they took notes. He would always check to see whether or not the students had understood the message given by the Khalifa and he would advise the students about obedience to Khilafat. Shamsuri Mahmud Sahib, who is a missionary, writes, Suyuti Sahib was a successful life devotee. On one occasion, he advised me by saying, Having dedicated your life, you must ensure that you do not become neglectful. Forsaking your dedication is akin to abandoning the Jamaat. Always remember this point. He then repeated this statement and I saw that his eyes were red and had tears in them. 
Yusuf Ismail Sahib, who is also a missionary, writes that when he was appointed as a regional missionary, he went to meet him. Since Suti Sahib was Raisul Tabligh, Yusuf Sahib went to see him and asked, Why have you appointed me as a regional missionary? I have many weaknesses and have little experience. I am not worthy of serving as a regional missionary. There are many others who are better qualified than me, so you should appoint one of them. To this Suti Sahib gave a simple but honest answer and said, who informed you that you have been made regional missionary because you are worthy of the job? You have been entrusted with this task so that you can learn in this capacity and develop a sense of responsibility. He then said, We are all weak human beings. However, if we have a strong relationship with God Almighty, then all of our tasks will become easy. Therefore, always bear in mind, whether you are serving as a regional missionary or not, you must always have a strong connection with God Almighty. Only then will you attain successes and your tasks will be made easy for you. The general manager of MTA, Akhanur Sahib, says, On one occasion we were faced with a certain difficulty for which I wrote to him for prayers. He did not reply immediately. However, the following day he obtained my number from someone else. When I met with him, the first question he asked, was that I had requested him for prayers. Did I write to Khalid Masih for prayers? When I informed him that I had, he became elated and said that this is the way it should be. Even at the time, he had tears in his eyes. One can gauge his deep love for Khilafat from his expression. Similarly, at different occasions, whenever the topic of establishing a relationship with Khilafat was mentioned, he would be overcome with emotion. By the grace of Allah, the deceased was a Musi. He passed away in Rabwa, Pakistan on 23rd of November. His body was transported from Pakistan to Indonesia and was buried on 24th of November in the center in the graveyard for Musian. A large congregation from among the Jamaat attended his funeral. May Allah the Almighty elevate his status and grant him a lofty status in the gardens of paradise. May God bestow patience on all his family members, and may he enable his progeny and descendants to follow in his footsteps. Alhamdulillah <coughs> Alhamdulillah, nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'uzu billahi min shurure anfusina wa min sayyati amalina man yadillahu falamudillalahu وَمَنْ يُضِلُّ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشَدُ اللَّهَ إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ إِبَادُ اللَّهِ رَحِمَكُمُ اللَّهُ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْمُرُ بِالْعَدْلِ وَالْعَدْلِ 